Hello, hello, hello. Good day and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Ashitino. And today, the 15th of December, is always a somber day for me. And it's a somber day because today, uh, in 2011, is the day we lost one of the greatest defenders of um, liberal democracy, secularism, um, and freedom that uh, we've known in in an inordinately long amount of time, and and that is Christopher Eric Hitchens, Hitch, as he was affectionately known. Um, Christopher Hitchens was just um, you know there really aren't there are too many words to describe him, and no matter how many words you use, you won't adequately convey it. Uh, I was. I was lucky enough to have known about him while he lived, um, you know, and, and to be able to have watched him in action, uh, sadly, never live. But Christopher Hitchens uh, was a giant amongst men. Um, debating him was, try- was like trying to hold back the ocean with a, a bucket that had a hole in the bottom. Uh, you were better off just not doing it. You know, he was well known for something, as I talked about on my Instagram page, it was called the Hitch Slap which is where he would end up in a debate against one of these guys that thought they knew what they were talking about. And, you know, they would come in with all of these, you know, arguments and think, aha, I've got them because they were used to debating people who had no idea how to debate. And Hitchens would just rip them apart. I mean, it almost wasn't fair. It, it, it's like where you're, you're begging the official to stop the fight. You know, you're like, God, this is just getting, you know, or, or one of those scenes uh, in a show or a movie where you just start cringing and you're like, oh, this is embarrassing. Like, stop it. Please stop it. I can't watch anymore. Um, though for for those of us who believed in, in what he was saying, you know, we were like, no, 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 keep going. Keep going. But pile it on. More, more, more. So um, I could only imagine what Hitchens would have been doing today. Um, I dare say he'd be having a field day. And the reason he'd be having a field day is kind of the subject of what I'm actually going to talk about today. So I apologize if my voice is a little more raspy than usual. Um, You know, I've I've just, uh, for whatever reason, my voice has decided to go like that. So apologies in in the beginning. Uh, But let's talk today a little bit about something um, that is, you know, one of my my favorite things to talk about, um, and that is anything having to do with George Orwell. Uh, now, uh, Christopher wrote a book, uh, Why Orwell Matters, um, uh, many years ago. And George Orwell, which is the pen name of, of Eric Blair, was an English author um, who penned two of the great books of the 20th century. And those two books are Animal Farm and 1984. Um, now, I remember Animal Farm when I was in seventh grade, I found out that we were going to reading, be reading a book called Animal Farm. And I thought, of course, because, you know, I was a seventh grader and seventh graders, um, you know, seventh grade boys especially know everything. Just ask them. They'll tell you happily. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so stupid. We're reading a book about friggin' animals in class. And uh, my social studies teacher, Miss Biddo, whom if you ever listen to this on the off shot, uh, which is probably a pretty big off shot. But if you ever listen to this, know that I am forever thankful for a lot of the things that, that you know you taught me during that year. Um, and also, 
Um, whenever I hear anything about a tornado, I immediately say it sounded like a freight train. She'll get it. I know most of you won't, but that's okay. Uh, but anyway, Animal Farm actually uh, is a book. Uh, yes, there are animals. But what Orwell is talking about, he's talking about the Russian Revolution. I know, most people have no freaking clue what that's about. Um, but I'm going to break it down pretty simply here. And he talks about between the two characters, the two pigs, Snowball and Napoleon. And Snowball represents Leon Trotsky. And Napoleon represents uh, Joseph Stalin, who eventually ended up winning the uh, the battle between the two um, to take control of the revolution. Um, and so the book is really, it's a story about how the high hopes in the beginning of the Russian Revolution, I mean, they were fighting against the Tsarist Empire, the Tsar, who was not a really great person. Um, you know, he had uh, his secret police. People were tortured and killed. Um, there's no question about that, okay? It wasn't a great government. <clears throat> the problem is that, and by the end of the book, and if you haven't read it, please, it's not that long. Go do yourself a favor. Please read the book, okay? It won't take you that long, I promise. And it's just so relevant. You will sound much more educated when you talk to people, I promise you. But by the end of the book, you know, there is the fact that um, <laughs> things are actually worse than they were before the revolution. And, you know, you could say many people uh, would make that argument about what was going on in Stalinist Russia um, by the 1930s, okay? Um, the situation, if you thought the Tsar's uh, secret police were bad, by God, the Stalinist secret police, you know, the Cheka and whatnot, um, were, <laughs> were, were 20 times worse. The NKVD were 20 times worse. Um, you know, as Trotsky said, it was a revolution betrayed. Uh, now, you can have an argument with me about the fact that, you know, Trotsky should have known what he's getting into because, you know, it, it would have only ever ended one way. But I don't think it had to. I really don't. And and I do think that the situation in World War One kind of was, was pushing people to want some kind of change. And again, the problem is that, you know, when people won't provide avenues for expression, when people won't let uh, individuals have their say, um, they end up rebelling and they end up coming after people. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. And so that's Animal Farm. Um, and, and in Animal Farm, you start to see parts of what would become kind of the key topic of 1984. In Animal Farm, you start to have, as things go on, there's a reinterpretation of the past. Now, this is classic Stalinist, okay? Um, a reinterpretation, meaning, well, you remember what happened here. No, well, I thought it happened this way. Well, I thought it happened this way. No, it happened this way. Um, the reality is that the only people who can certainly say what happened were the people that were there. And even the people that were there might have differing ideas of what happened. But the real worry is that as time goes on, people can be convinced that things happened in a certain way, even if it's not true. Okay? Even if it's not true. And that happened in, in Animal Farm, but... In Orwell's uh, Magnus Opus, 1984, that is kind of the main theme. The main theme of 1984. Uh, again, it's not really so much about the brutal totalitarian dictatorship that was going on. It's about the fact that 
you can change the past. Now, you might argue with me. Well, you can't change what happened. For example, if if I go outside right now and throw a rock through my neighbor's window, which of course I wouldn't, you can't say that that didn't happen. It's a physical act. It happened. It happened in a particular place and time. It happened uh, on a Sunday evening at a certain time, whenever it happens, okay, or, or a Monday morning, all right? I go out there and I do this, and that's that. It happened. But 1984 is amazing because it talks about a reality that I think we're seeing right now, in, uh, certainly in American politics. What if people choose just not to believe that? Now, years ago, I had an ongoing argument with a friend of mine. Um, sadly, I didn't really talk to him anymore. But uh, the, the argument that she always made was she was like, it doesn't matter what people believe. What happened, happened. And, and that's true. That's absolutely true from the perspective of you can't change a physical act. My argument was always, though, because of my concern, well, yeah, but what if everyone agreed that it didn't happen? Well, it still would have happened. You're right. But if we all agree it didn't happen and everyone acts like it didn't happen, does it really matter that it happened? Okay? And that's the whole point of 1984. The the real message is that the truth, okay, and, and you see this today in politics, the truth is not always something that is accepted by everyone. All right? So if I, you know, for example, and I'm not even talking about simple things like you know, polling numbers. It could be like, well, your poll is, you know, no good. We only watch the real polls. I'm talking about saying things like if, if someone says, listen, you know, um, under so-and-so, uh, this is the, uh, you know, the lowest unemployment rates that have ever been. Or, conversely, if someone says so-and-so had the highest unemployment rates there ever were. Okay. Now, you can go back and look at, you know, statistics and facts. But you have a large number of people for whom they don't care about that. They're like, nope, the, you know, the, the ubiquitous fake news. Okay. Now, this is exactly what Orwell was really concerned with. He was concerned with this idea that if people just chose to ignore reality, they chose to believe in things uh, that went against reality, would it really matter? Because, you know, they could just turn around and say, you know, if I went out and said, you know, Anthony J. Ashitino, you know, won a Nobel Prize five times. You could say, well, no, we can just go look in the archives and see that you didn't. Okay, that's true. But what if, what if I decided I was going to run for the presidency, and let's say I won, and then I ordered that from now on the official statement from the government was going to be that I'd won the Nobel Prize five times, and I had the papers reporting it, and people started believing it, and eventually we had changed enough of the past where people started looking at the people that said, no, uh, Ashitino hasn't ever won a Nobel Prize, and they were like, God, you poor people that have been, you know, seduced by the dark side, you, you know, you really believe that fake news that he didn't, don't you realize that they're just trying to make Mr. Ashitino look bad? 
know, he obviously won the five Nobel Prizes. That was Orwell's real concern, was that out of, you know, the past, you could conjure up a new reality. And what defines reality, okay? I mean, obviously, physical actions define them, but at the same time, uh, you know, we see this, we see people accepting alternative realities. They want to believe a certain thing. And if they believe it, and enough people believe it, and it becomes ex- accepted, then why, why does it matter what really happened? It matters to some of us, yes. But Orwell's argument, and 1984 is just basically an entire book where whatever the government says is reality, is reality. And they change the papers, they change things in the past. You know, in a histori- as an historian, as historians, we are always really worried about this because we talk about how, you know, we're, we're, for many events, we're losing the last primary sources, meaning people who are able to testify about it. We don't have anyone anymore that can say, I was alive during World War I fighting in the trenches. Okay, so we've lost that. We're rapidly losing individuals that can tell us what happened during World War II. Okay, that's going away as well. And once we lose all of them, then we're going to have to rely on their statements, documentation. Um, but, and, and this is where the real worry is. Okay, and someone like me looks at something like the Holocaust. And unfortunately today, there are far too many. One would be too many. One would be far too many, but there are far too many people who are suggesting the Holocaust never happened. Now, we've got people today who speak out because they were in the Holocaust. They were in the concentration camps. They witnessed what happened. They have the tattoos etched on their arms. Um, They can testify, but soon they won't be around anymore. Old age will claim them as it does everyone. And so the real concern is then, well, what happens when people start saying, no, you know, no one believes that anymore. No, well, we all believe that. No, well, a sizable portion of us don't believe that that happened. And then you start getting people that are like, well, you know, they have some good arguments too. How could this many people have been killed? How could it have happened? Maybe these people were this and that. And you have to fight against that. You absolutely have to. But the problem is that as we get further and further away, you know, you end up having people seriously questioning it. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. Um, You know, especially today, one of the other things that Orwell talks about, I mean, in 1984, there's something called Newspeak. And Newspeak is the elimination of most of the language. So getting rid of adjectives, for example, I know this is thrilling stuff for many people, especially some of my students listening are like, man, I'm really happy that I decided to listen to a language arts, uh, you know, uh, thing on, on the weekend or at night. But, but bear with me for a moment. So Orwell, for example, instead of saying something is great, they use double plus good. Okay. Um, and what that does is it eliminates words and Words are our way of expressing ourselves, okay? Uh, The greater the vocabulary you have, the more intelligent you are, usually. Not not always, but usually. It shows an intelligence level. So by cutting out things, you know, you limit the ability of people to respond. 
And when you limit the ability of responses, you limit the number of different feelings that you can respond in. And in 1984, everything is geared to the point that eventually people will only be able to express themselves in ways that are sanctioned by the regime. And I find that today, you know, I mean, all of our stuff, you know, all of our LOLs and all of our BRBs and JKJK, you know, I, I get it. I use them too, you know, when I'm texting people. You know, I don't, I don't feel like writing out just kidding. So I write JK. But what it really hints towards is the fact that, you know, vocabularies are shrinking, I feel. And they're shrinking because people don't want to have to deal with that. You know, they want to just be able to put, I mean, it's even getting worse where, you know, we, we just substitute emojis for certain things. I mean, people can put together entire sentences that paragraphs just using emojis, okay? Um, and that's, it's worrisome. I mean, it's funny at times, yes, but it's worrisome because we're, we're cutting the language out. And language has really always been our main way of communicating with one another. And it's very important because if you don't have certain words, you can't really convey certain feelings. I mean, think about when the last time you've been trying to say something and you're like, oh, man, what, what's that word? The, the word that I'm trying to think of. Okay, we've all been there. We've all tried to think of that word. And, and we haven't been able to because we're trying to describe something and we don't want to just, we're looking for that word, that particular word, because it's not just about coming up with something. We want to really, we want to really find the word that fits it properly. Okay. We want to find the word that fits it properly. So we've got to worry about that. And this is why, like, for example, you know, on CNN and I'm not putting CNN on blast here. Don't worry. I do view CNN a lot because I, th- I think that they're kind of a middle of the road. I mean, my real, the, the news network that I go to when I want to know what the heck is going on is uh, the British Broadcast Corporation, um, you know, news.bbc.co.uk. They're the ones where if I'm like, wait a minute now, I need to know the reality of what's going on, I go to them. But CNN's not bad. Um, they really aren't. They're in the middle of the road. But one of the problems I have is that their, their thing now that they put up, after you click on one article and they put up a thing, you know, get the five, uh, you know, get emailed to you every day, five points of news. Understand the news in five points. And again, to me, this is kind of a dumbing down. Um, you know, we're reducing everything to these bite-sized pieces because people don't have the time to sit and, you know, look up other things and actually engage with it. Um, and this is a problem. It's a real problem. Because the news can't just be, you know, if you really want to understand why something is going on, you have to read a bunch about it. If you want to understand why there are protests in Hong Kong, you have to read about it. If you want to understand what's going on with this new citizenship law um, in India, you have to actually sit down and read about it. And it's not just something that can be summed up in a paragraph. It really isn't. I mean, you could hit some major points but you can't get the, 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 the more underlying facts. Well, why is it happening? What's the history, for example, you know, in India with the citizenship law, which is just an absolute joke and a half. I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, no, 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 we're doing it to protect immigrants. No, it, it's being done to discriminate against Muslims. But that's because the government right now under Narendra Modi and the BJP um, is a terribly discriminatory government. Um, and they're, you know, basically doing what people like Nehru um, 
and, and Gandhi, though, he's not completely innocent uh, uh, either, but we're afraid of, which is, you know, a completely unsecularizing the state. Um, but in any case, you have to understand the past if, if you want to understand it. You have to do a bunch of reading. You can't just get it and, you know, it's like, here's five things. Now, now you understand the news. Because the other dangerous thing is that people come out of that thinking they really know what they're talking about. People listen to five minutes of something and come out there, you know, and want to tell you what they're talking about. And it's like, no, you don't know, okay? You don't know. This person has a degree, and this person has studied this for years, but you come out and you're like, nope, I know what I'm talking about here. Um, and then, of course, these people go out and vote, you know, on, on all sides. I'm not being discriminatory here against any particular side. I'm warning that people go out and make decisions that could potentially have catastrophic results on the basis of a, of a five-minute clip that they watch or worse, on the basis of something that it took them 30 seconds to read. And, and that's a problem because it's a dumbing down of things. Um, you know, you have fake news being thrown around. Everything, fake news, fake news. Everything's fake news. If you don't agree with it. If you agree with it, then it's the absolute truth. It's the gospel, okay? But if you don't agree with it, it's just fake news. And that's become so imbued in our culture right now, that's a major problem. You know, 1984 talks about false memories. You know, if you think you remember something different than what the party says it is, you have a false memory and you have to get rid of that. You have to train your mind. Today, we have fake news. Fake news, if the news can, you know, if, if I say, well, according to recent polling, such and such is this way, someone doesn't agree, they say, yeah, that poll's fake news. I don't believe it. It's made up. Deep state. All that jazz. Um, and that's a problem because it really gets us to question reality. And once you start questioning reality, that becomes a problem. It becomes a big problem. Because we need to have this kind of understanding of what reality is. Now, as I said before, and, and I stick by this, um, reality, reality is not malleable, but interpretations of reality and what ends up going into the history books ends up being malleable. Because that's something that can be changed. That's something that people can write into the history books. I mean, um, one of my favorite individuals, I, I named a child after him, Marcus Tullius Kikero. Now, he wrote the Catalinarian Conspiracies. I'll break it down for you guys real quick. So, you know, it was a famous period in Roman history where a guy called Catiline uh, ran for the consulship a few times didn't succeed, and then decided, well, you know what, I'm just going to overthrow the government. Now, if you read Kikero, Catiline is this nefarious, I mean, he's, he's the devil incarnate, you know, it's a slaughter, everyone. But you do get some hints from other sources that he wasn't like that, that he was actually just trying to get rid of um, some of the more unfair aspects of the Republic at the time, of which there were many. I'm not saying he was faultless, and I'm not saying he was actually the good guy in this, but the bottom line is that the only real documentation we have about Catiline comes from Kikero. And because it comes from Kikero, 
who eventually, you know, argued that Catiline should be put to death, um, you know, we get a very skewed view of who this person is. This is what we are facing with so many things. I mean, you know, if someone claims that they have higher poll numbers than, oh, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln, um, you know, and you say, well, wait a minute now. There weren't polls back when Abraham Lincoln was president. Um, you know, someone says, well, you know, this is whatever the case is. Um, you know, you, you can argue that and it's like, nope, you're wrong. This is what I want to believe, so I'm going to go ahead with this. You know, Now, we know people will always believe what they want to believe, but usually they have to have facts behind them, otherwise they look silly. Today, that's become irrelevant. Today, you can make all sorts of arguments, and if someone tries to counter it, you know, whatever, listen, you just believe in fake news, and that's all there is to it. And, and that's a real problem. It's a very real problem. Um, and so, you know, I, I know that this sounds like I'm just turning this into a 1984 podcast. I'm not. I was inspired about, uh, to do something about this because of, of Hitchens and because it's his, uh, the anniversary of his death, which, you know, truth be told, in the past, people used to celebrate the anniversary of someone's death, you know, much more than their birth. You know, we've kind of moved away from that now. Whatever, it, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I, I really wanted to talk about um, this kind of a construct of, of reality and why 1984 and what 1984 talks about is so important because, you know, we have to, we have to be able to defend things. We have to be able to defend what reality is, okay? Um, you know, it could be broken down in some areas, you know, uh, a chair is a chair, but a chair can be described in many ways. You could say, well, this is a beach chair, it's a lounge chair, it's a desk chair. A- and that's fine. That's fine. But you can't say something is not a chair if it's a chair. Okay, if it's a chair, it's a chair. You can't then turn around and say, no, it's not a chair. Why? Because it's not. And then expect people to just follow in line with that and be like, no, nope, you know what, you're right. I mean, obviously you can do that in certain you know, regimes, uh, North Korea comes to mind, you can certainly be like, well, listen, you know, if I don't agree that, you know, the, the chair is actually a table, because that's what the government has decided it is, I'm going to be sent to a concentration camp. And that'll be that. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it's what it is. And you could do that with force. But when you're not forcing people, when people feel free to express themselves, they should be able to accept reality for what it is. And if they don't, then there's a real problem. And that's what we need to deal with. A real problem. That's what we need to deal with. Um, You know, we've got this in China right now. And probably I'll never be allowed into China after saying things like this, um, which, whatever, it's it's fine. Um, I, I would love to go there one day. I'm a huge fan of the Three Kingdoms period of Chinese history. Um, I find it fascinating. I used to play a game, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is based off of the novel, um, which is <laughs> very long. It's, you know, four different volumes. Um, but, you know, heroic characters, and it's fascinating stuff to read about. But, you know, what's going on, for example, with the Uyghurs in uh, Western China? I mean, they are putting these people in concentration camps. They are forcing them um, to stop speaking their language and to start speaking one of the major 
languages of, of China. They're forcing them to, the, because they're majority Muslim, uh, they're breaking them from that. They're forcing them to eat pork. Um, they're forcing them, in many cases, to stop worshipping as they see fit. Um, it, it's quite terrible. They're forced to carry around phones that have trackers on them and that can track everything that they, they go and, and see. And this is being ignored um, wholesale uh, because China provides a tremendous amount of goods at a very cheap price for a lot of the world. Um, they have tremendous say. However, um, this is a real problem because if you're going to allow them to get away with this, well, what about anyone else in the world when they try and do this? I mean, you're having a, a near a near genocide. You're having, at the very least, I would say you're having a cultural genocide. Yes, I've said it, and I'll say it again. You're having a cultural genocide in China, but that's because the government in China cannot accept anything other than the official line. Um, they will not. They cannot. They will not. They didn't do it in Tiananmen Square in 1989. They wouldn't tolerate any kind of dissent then. Uh, they won't tolerate any of it now. You know, as I said uh, in one of my previous podcasts, you know, in China, uh, if you don't have enough, um, you know, a, a political points, you know, you have to if you if you're favoriting or forwarding anti-government stuff on your social media accounts, uh, you won't get that loan. You won't get that visa to go abroad. This is terrible. This is the antithesis of what we should be doing. Um, and the United States, uh, who has a history, admittedly, at times, a bit dodgy on this, but who has a history of speaking out against this kind of stuff, the United States should be leading the charge and demanding that they stop this. Uh, there comes a point where you have to ask the question, human beings or money? What is more important to us? Now, obviously, the United States has made the choice here, as have most countries, that money is more important. Sadly, that is a historical fact for most cultures. I'm not just putting the United States on blast, so don't think I am. It's not just us. And in fact, the United States has actually taken very principled stances on a lot of issues um, that other countries haven't. However, we've also dropped the ball. And that's fine because, you know what, people screw up. Individuals screw up. What do you do? You you say, okay, I screwed up. Now let me go forward here and try and make it up and try and do more. So with the United States, things like what's going on there, things like what's going on in India, another country of tremendous trade, another country with a large population in the United States, you know, what's going on with Modi, who, you know, was someone who aided and abetted, you know, a massacre of Muslims back in the day. Um, at, at, at best you can say, the best thing you can say for him is that, you know, oh, he didn't know what was going on. He did. Um, they allowed this thing to go on. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little bit off topic. What I'm doing though, the important thing though, is that with both of these situations, China, India, um, and in the United States, the powers that are in charge are making this argument that you don't know what the past has been. You are confused there's fake news, and you're being misled by it. And the reality is that, in all three cases, facts say otherwise. Realities say otherwise. But the realities don't matter unless the people are willing to stand up for them and to confront it. Unless the people are willing to speak truth to power there is going to be no change. And the fear is that in another 20 years, we're going to be dealing with kids coming up to us 
and talking about things like, you know, oh, well, the, you know, the, the Uyghurs, what are you talking about? That was all a rumor. That never happened. No, we were reading this stuff put out by the Chinese government that the, the Uyghurs were never a people, okay? They didn't exist. That's what you end up with. You know, they become unpersons like in 1984, and everyone's okay with it. So my message is this. Do not accept uh, any, don't accept any of this, uh, you know, fake news stuff. Don't believe when people say it. Verify. There is false news that is put out. And when there is, we do have an obligation to call it out for what it is. But in the meantime, you, all of you I'm talking to right now, wherever you are, whatever country you're in, you have an obligation to stand up for the truth, to stand up for what is right. And, and even if you don't like the truth, if you don't like the reality, you still need to stand up for it because the alternative is that we make it okay for us to continue changing reality. And that is unacceptable because therein lies the path to having a government that is able to just tell you, you know, that the, the chocolate ration has been increased this week when in reality it has not been and it's actually been cut. And if you read 1984, which I strongly implore you to do, you will know what in the devil I'm talking about. Anyway, that's it for me for today. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, I am on Instagram, of course, at Antonius Optimus. I put up a new, um, a new historical fact every single day. Uh, please go over there, follow me, give some likes. Um, I'm also on TikTok, uh, Acheron21, the Mad Historian. I'm starting to put some stuff up there. Um, a little more lighthearted. It's just to kind of get people into it and hopefully drive them to my Instagram. Um, and then, of course, to the podcast where I get to talk about the great things that I want to talk about. So go visit all of those things. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and the rest of your week. Until we speak again, I am signing out here. Go forward and again. Fight injustice everywhere that you find it and fight for truth and reality everywhere and every time that you can. Bye-bye.